Hi, and welcome back. This episode is 10 Myths About Hormone Therapy, and I was inspired to do this episode because I'm so active reading everyone's social media and tweets and posts about menopause, and there is a common thread of myths that I see come up over and over again. So I thought I would take this opportunity to clear up some of the ones that I see a lot and kind of keep me awake at night, sort of thinking, I wish I could clarify this for everyone. So here's my chance. We're going to start with the first and foremost. And in fact, this is one that my patients and I discuss very commonly in the office. And that's the myth that bioidentical is better. And this is really important to break down. That's why I'm starting with this one first. So first, what does bioidentical mean? So there's really a myth that, that anyone's making hormones that are identical to you. So I'm going to clarify this. When you go through menopause, you don't make any estrogen anymore. So when I check my patient's estrogen levels, it's usually very low, somewhere between 0 to 10 or less than 20. And to give you a reference range, when you were cycling and having periods, your estrogen would go anywhere from 50 to about 500 a month when you were ovulating. So you were making tons of estrogen. And when you were pregnant, your estrogen level soared into the thousands. So you don't make any estrogen anymore. It's pretty much zero. There is some tiny amounts, you could argue. So there's really nothing to be identical to you. What the pharmacist is doing is prescribing estradiol, which is a plant-based or a more natural estrogen than Premarin. Premarin comes from horse's urine. That's conjugated equine estrogen. Now, before you think, oh my gosh, I use Premarin a lot. In fact, if I was stranded on a deserted island, I would happily take Premarin. It's very safe. And a lot of the studies that I quoted in one of my prior episodes is all based on Premarin. So while Premarin is still considered very safe, what you're getting when you're getting something that's bioidentical is essentially just estradiol or a plant-based estrogen. Now, I prescribe these all the time, but I use only FDA-approved bioidentical products, which is basically estradiol. So you don't need to go to a compounding pharmacy because they're simply going to charge you a ton of money, tell you something is bioidentical, which again, it's not identical to anything. And you're going to have to get it either in a cream or a gel that could be unsafe because you don't know if you're getting balanced estrogen and progesterone. Now, a little bit of history. So bioidentical compounded hormone therapy became very popular after the Women's Health Initiative came out in the early 2000s. And that was when there was a lot of confusion both by patients and providers about the use of hormone therapy. So many women will were pulled off their hormone therapy. And then there became this niche, this need to sort of fill the void for the women who still wanted to take treatment, who realized they weren't feeling well. So these wellness clinics and these compounding hormone therapy clinics arose and they preyed off the insecurities about the hormones that were used in the WHI saying bioidentical is better. And really it's not. In fact, not only is it not better, it's Again, considered by NAMS providers to be unsafe because you can never really tell what is in the products that you're getting. Now, remember, this is also a billion-dollar industry. So the wellness clinics that are saying that they are providing bioidentical, safer, compounded hormone therapy are making a lot of money and preying off those fears of hormone therapy, which if you listen to one of my episodes 
easing your fears of hormone therapy, I go through a lot of data to make you feel very comfortable in using FDA-approved therapy that you can pick up at your local CVS, Walgreens, or drugstore. Another sort of thing that I see a lot is patients with pellet injections, and these are extraordinarily unsafe and unnecessary. So again, they're claiming these are safer, these are better, and they're not. First of all, there are thousands of dollars for each round of these, and a lot of those women come to me with skyrocketing levels of testosterone, which means they've got tons of acne, they're losing their hair, and their hormones are not really balanced. And when they inject those pellets, they're stuck with you for, say, three months. So I really encourage getting you off all of those and getting you something that you can pick up at your local pharmacy that is much safer and much more reasonably priced, especially if you're going to be on these for a couple of years or longer. So to summarize, when my patients come to the office and they either tell me they've been on something bioidentical or they want something bioidentical, I tell them I have plenty of options. And they're surprised to say when it's going to be very cheap and it's something that they could pick up at their local pharmacy because bioidentical doesn't mean identical to your genes or to your needs. It's simply a slang term that's been utilized for their needs. Okay, so if I haven't hit that point home, bioidentical is not better. And there are several safe, quote, bioidentical products that you can get that are FDA approved. Now, moving on, and this one sort of applies to number two, is that saliva testing is the best type of hormone testing. You know, I trained at the Cleveland Clinic and did a fellowship in menopause, and I have never seen any need, indication, or reason to do an expensive saliva test. What you need done, two simple lab tests at minimum, your free estradiol and your FSH level, which are both blood tests. Now again, to put this in perspective, if say you're 70 years old and you're for sure in menopause, your FSH, which is called the follicle stimulating hormone, is going to be very high, definitely above 60, probably at least 100. And your free estradiol, again, is going to be very low, somewhere between zero, or maybe the lab shows up a small trace amount, somewhere between 11 and 20. So you do not need saliva testing. It's just simply unnecessary, and it's really probably a way to just charge you more for the same service that you could get in a blood test by either an AMPS provider or your internist or your local gynecologist. On the same topic, you again don't need a slew of blood work to determine menopause or to determine what is the problem. If you have a really good provider, they'll be able to know that it's menopause. I don't really like to check a whole bunch of renal or adrenal or kidney or liver function tests unless I need to because, of course, you're having a lot of cortisol if you're very stressed and you're not feeling well. There's really no need to sort of test that and sort of waste your money or healthcare dollars unless there is a necessity or if you want to simply pay out of pocket. But there really isn't a major need for that. And I think this need comes out of the idea that providers really aren't great at diagnosing and treating menopause so women continue to seek out and seek out what could be wrong with them and they're reading on the internet and they're doing so many things because they're trying so hard to feel better but we simply don't have enough doctors who are really knowledgeable and who are comfortable prescribing hormone therapy. So for my patients who really request a lot of extra testing, I kind of say, you know what, give me a minute here and let's try treating the menopause symptoms with hormone therapy, whatever we've decided is going to be the best for her and come back and see me. And if you don't feel better or you're still not satisfied, let's check a bunch of those 
other lab tests that you're really interested in. And I would say eight times out of 10, they are really satisfied and really confident that it was most likely symptomatic menopause and that treating it was the answer. Now, I'm not trying to toot my own horn because my patients are the ones who are doing all the hard work. I'm simply here to be a vehicle to help understand and guide you through menopause and provide you the right treatment. So number three, the next myth is that hormone therapy has to be expensive. Now, this again isn't true, especially if you are getting FDA-approved hormone therapy that you can get at your local pharmacy. Now, some are more costly than others, and that's something to take into account when I'm meeting my patients and we're going over their priorities. For some people, their finances are a high priority and they need something they can afford every month for many years. And for some people, they can pay a little bit more, and so they could get something that might be a little bit more convenient, meaning a combined estrogen-progesterone tab or a weekly patch or a spray or a gel. It's just a little bit more convenient, but you definitely can find safe FDA-approved options that go either direction. When my patients come to me and they are on either pellets or they've gotten bioidentical or some kind of compounded therapy elsewhere, I usually just ask how much it did cost, mostly because I'm curious and also because I want to help put this into perspective for my patients when they're making a decision and hopefully the decision not to continue with those because they could be unsafe. And it's not uncommon that I hear they were hundreds of dollars a month or maybe even thousands of dollars for a few rounds of pellet injections. So it does not need to be that expensive. Now, a side note, there are some things that are expensive that are FDA approved. So Vagifem or vaginal inserts or tablets often tend to be expensive, unfortunately. And I tell my patients, I guess this is because the governing body doesn't think that women's sexual health issues are very important because a lot of medications are covered, but some of these are not. It's super frustrating. And as soon as I have time to go march on Washington, I will, but I think I've got a little bit more to do before then. Okay, the next myth is that hormone therapy is unsafe. Now, I've dedicated an entire podcast, Easing Your Fears of Hormone Therapy, which goes through a lot of the science behind the myth that hormone therapy is unsafe. And, you know, to summarize, if I can, very briefly, the Women's Health Initiative, which ended in the early 2000s, unfortunately was released to the media before scientists and the doctors could really understand a lot of this data since there was so much of it. But long-term data has really disproven that and shown that women who take hormone therapy within 10 years of menopause live longer, die less from all causes, have less heart disease, have less progression to diabetes, have improvements in quality of life. It reduces the symptoms of hot flashes and night sweats. And what I see anecdotally and in my office is that my women who take hormone therapy really stay much healthier. They feel much better like themselves. They tend to work longer because, again, they're feeling better. And there's just so many benefits of hormone therapy that the risks really became overestimated and the media really sort of preyed on these risks, I think, just to increase women's fear. You know, the biggest risk is the rare risk of a blood clot, which is one in a thousand for women who take oral and even less, one in 2,000, potentially less than that in women who use a transdermal approach like a patch, a spray, or a gel. And the risk 
risks of not taking hormone therapy if you don't feel well, if you aren't sleeping, if you're starting to emotionally eat or become depressed or think about quitting your job sooner or retire sooner are way too high. So it's a myth that hormone therapy is unsafe. I am hoping that the pendulum is starting to swing again. And I do see that there is more of an acceptance and women are really more curious and really wondering about that data, why this fear. So as that pendulum continues to swing, I think that physicians and providers, hopefully over time, are going to be more comfortable providing hormone therapy. So it's really a myth that hormone therapy is unsafe. So if you want more information in detail, please listen to one of my other episodes, Easing Your Fears of Hormone Therapy. It's awesome. Going on to number five, and this one is that local vaginal hormone therapy carries the same risks as oral hormone therapy, and this is simply untrue. And this is a conversation I guess I tend to have a lot more with some of my older patients who tend to be in their late 60s, 70s, and maybe 80s. And this is when we discuss local vaginal estrogen for common symptoms like dyspareunia, which is painful intercourse. If you're not sexually active at that age, other major reasons are just vaginal atrophy or or pain or dryness that you can feel when you walk or sit. And it's also given for frequent urinary tract infections. And this is because the pH of the vagina changes drastically after menopause because you don't make that estrogen anymore. And when the pH changes, this makes you more prone to urinary tract infections. And of course, those can be very, not only dangerous, you can get sepsis or urosepsis, which is a really bad infection you need to be in the hospital for. But being treated with several rounds of antibiotics carries extreme risks as well. So we do want to provide local vaginal treatment for many of our women who are in their later decades of life. A lot of these women are very cognizant of the fears of hormone therapy because they came out potentially at the time when they were taking something like oral Premarin and they were in their 50s and now 20 years later, they're very fearful or hesitant about using vaginal estrogen. Now, the dose of vaginal estrogen is so, so low that it really does not go systemically. So it does not carry the same systemic risks that oral hormone therapy does. There's a huge difference between local vaginal treatment, which is esterase, Vagifem, Premarin, those are the common names that you might hear, versus something that you're going to take orally or transdermally. There is even new uber low doses that just came out on the market, which are approved for patients who have breast cancer. Now, I still very frequently prescribe a lot of the topical agents for women with breast cancer or a history of breast cancer because, again, I know the risks of that changing pH in the vagina or not being able to have intercourse with your husband again for many years of your life are so big and that the systemic dose of estrogen is really almost nothing. So, again, local vaginal treatment does not carry the same risks that oral hormone therapy does. The next one on my list is number six, hormone therapy will cause weight gain, and this is absolutely untrue. This is another one that I talked about in one of my other episodes, Menopause 101, answering the 10 most common questions about menopause. I get this one a lot. As my patients are walking out the door, they're very excited to start on their new regimen. They'll say, wait, doc, this isn't going to cause weight gain, is it? And I say, I promise you it's not. The reason that this won't cause weight gain is because 
actually, when you lose your endogenous estrogen, when you enter into menopause, most women notice that's when their metabolism sort of slows or crashes, they might say. And this is because estrogen has a direct and indirect effect, in my mind, on the metabolism. Now, indirectly, when you're not sleeping well at night, you're having lots of hot flashes, you're waking up multiple times, your sleep is really disrupted, then what's going to happen, your stress hormone cortisol is going to skyrocket, you're going to start craving carbohydrates or maybe other junk food, and that is going to cause you to gain weight. You're also maybe going to feel really sluggish and not get to the gym or feel like exercising regularly. So there's some indirect effects from menopause that cause weight gain. So we also know from the Women's Health Initiative that the women who took hormone therapy had less of a progression to diabetes, which means they had improved insulin sensitivity. So this means there is some direct effects that are positive that estrogen has on the metabolism. So we need more research and better studies to really understand that. But again, I say there's an indirect and a direct reason why estrogen is not going to cause you to gain weight. In fact, anecdotally, after say, you know, six to 12 months, many of my women do feel like they gain better control over their metabolism and might even start to lose weight in combination with good diet and exercise. Now I say it's not a weight loss drug. It's not going to help you lose a ton of weight, but most commonly my patients end up losing weight on their hormone therapy. Now, if you do find that you started hormone therapy and you are gaining a little bit of weight, it's most likely the progestin or the progesterone part of that hormone therapy combination if you have an intact uterus and you are taking progesterone. And this is because progesterone can sometimes cause fluid retention, which can put on a couple pounds. Now, progesterone is a hormone that rises right before your period, and so you kind of remember those bloating symptoms before your period, and this is really similar to what the oral progestin might be doing. Now, this doesn't happen to everyone across the board, but you might want to ask your doctor about switching the progestin because that might be the player that's causing some of the weight gain. Okay, moving on to number seven. This is a big myth as well that I discuss a lot, and it's that estrogen causes breast cancer or that the estrogen hormone therapy is the leading cause of breast cancer, and this is entirely untrue. Let me go through the real data. So the Women's Health Initiative was stopped early in the estrogen plus progesterone arm due to an apparent increased risk of invasive breast cancer in the estrogen plus progesterone arm. Now, while the media had everyone thinking that everyone was going to get breast cancer if they took the hormone therapy, the real change was an increase in invasive breast cancer in about two to four women per a thousand who took the estrogen plus progesterone in the WHI for five years, and that combination was called PremPro. What wasn't in the media was that the women who took the estrogen only actually had reductions in breast cancer compared to the general population or the women that were taking the placebo or the fake pills. So this is kind of mind-blowing. So if you took estrogen only, you didn't get as much breast cancer, but in the estrogen plus progesterone arm, and again, that was a one medication that they used called PremPro, there was a small increased risk of invasive breast cancer. So recognize right away that it might be the progestin and maybe not the estrogen that could be the link to the breast cancer. 
Now, when you look at many other studies done that use different types of progesterones and use more natural progesterones like micronized progesterone and others, actually you don't see this big or this difference in risk of invasive breast cancer. In fact, in my personal clinic, I really don't use compounded progesterone for this very reason unless I really have to. Because again, the risk, while it is there, it is not astronomical, and it's not that everyone is going to get breast cancer. In fact, for many decades, women really weren't taking hormone therapy. It wasn't very popular, and you know, still many women were getting diagnosed with breast cancer, but they weren't on hormone therapy. So there's also nothing to say you could suffer the rest of your life and still get breast cancer, right, even if you didn't take any hormone therapy. Now, another important point that I bring up a lot is that women who do take hormone therapy, who very unfortunately get diagnosed with breast cancer, actually tend to live a little bit longer. And this is probably because if you have an ER or estrogen receptor positive breast cancer and you're taking estrogen, that tumor is probably going to just grow and show up faster on a mammogram, which then is only going to get you treated faster. And most likely this is an explanation for why the women who take hormones who do end up getting breast cancer live longer. Now, depending if you're talking with me or an AMS provider or an oncologist, you may end up getting two different sides of the coin. And this is because we see two different things. So oncologists, unfortunately, see the very, very severe and the worst case situation. But as a menopause doctor and internist, I also see many, 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 many women who end up suffering and then develop chronic diseases because they never treated their menopausal symptoms out of extreme fear. Now, another way I put this is the risk of breast cancer increases the exact same if you drink about five to seven glasses of wine or alcohol a week. Now, some women sort of think to themselves, oops, I'm sort of already doing this. So they're accepting that risk. And so it's not exactly the same, but it's a way to put it into perspective that the Women's Health Study did show a very small increased risk of invasive breast cancer, but only looked at the one medication and the one dose. And there's much more data out there to show that some other progesterones are safer. And the gold star, if you've had a hysterectomy or your uterus removed, is that if you take estrogen, this will decrease your risk for breast cancer, decrease your risk for colon cancer, and also have so many of the other benefits of estrogen, such as increasing your overall lifespan and decreasing heart disease. So if your doctor or anyone else tries to tell you otherwise, this is replicated over and over again in studies, including the Women's Health Initiative and all the long-term data from that. So this is a fact that is well publicized. But it seems that the media only likes to portray when there's harms to women, in my opinion. Okay, moving on to number eight, and this is another really big one, is that you must stop hormone therapy at age 65 or some other age that your doctor tells you. Now, both ACOG and NAMS, so ACOG is the American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists, and NAMS is the North American Menopause Society, the governing body of menopause specialists and doctors in the United States, now say that you do not need to stop your hormone therapy at the age of 65. So this is sort of an old model mantra, which is the lowest dose for the shortest length of time. 
And many patients come to see me because their doctor has taken them off or is weaning them off, or they did come off for 12 or 24 months, but they feel absolutely miserable. And I simply start them right back on their hormone therapy. So the question is, why did this sort of idea come about that magically at age 65, that's when you need to come off your hormone therapy? This idea came about because in the Women's Health Initiative, after age 65, or actually really after age 70, is when they started to see very slight increased risks of cardiovascular incidents such as stroke or clots in women who are taking hormone therapy. But these women were starting hormone therapy at that age. They were not, say, on their hormone therapy for, you know, 10 years or more. So there is a Tremendous difference physiologically between someone who's had a low level of estrogen floating around that they've been taking since menopause or shortly after menopause compared to a woman who's not ever had estrogen for say 10, 15, or 20 years who then takes estrogen at that time. So actually estrogen has been shown to be a vasodilator, meaning it opens the vessels, it decreases inflammation, especially when it's taken within 10 years of menopause. But if you're over 10 years, maybe you're in to 15 or 20 years since menopause, it may cause some inflammatory markers to rise, which may increase your risk for clots. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my, I've been, you know, 15 or 20 years since menopause, it's just a different conversation about risks and benefits, but overall the risks are still very low. And if it has been several years or decades since menopause, I would recommend trying a transdermal approach, such as an FDA-approved patch, spray, or gel, because that will decrease your risk for blood clot even further. So you do not need to come off your hormone therapy. You don't need to wean. And if you're going to use a low dose, which again, I recommend the lowest dose, but the lowest dose that works, not the lowest dose that stops your hot flashes by 25%. Use the dose that works 100%. Because again, when you're taking hormone therapy, your hormone level or your estrogen level should really somewhere be around 50, maybe a little bit more, which is as low as your estrogen level got when you were cycling. So you're not getting tons of estrogen. This is less than what's in birth control pills also. So use the dose that works. Okay, got two more left. The next one is that over-the-counter options are good. And this is only a myth, not because I don't want you to try something over-the-counter, but usually over-the-counter options give you a placebo effect. And what that means is your brain is so excited and it's so powerful that you actually feel for a short amount of time that you have an improvement in your symptoms. But most of the times, those symptoms start again after, say, two to three months because that placebo effect wears off. What is usually in the -the over-the-counter medications is a very low-potency estrogen called esterol or esterone, and it doesn't have estradiol in it. What you really need if you're having severe symptoms is estradiol, and that's only going to be a prescription medication. Now, I definitely think lifestyle changes really can help. If you feel an improvement from exercise, if you feel an improvement with yoga or meditation or acupuncture, that's okay. They're not going to harm you. It's just they're simply not going to help you the way that estradiol will. And you might be thinking she's just trying to push medications and I'm not. There's actually been lots of studies showing that a lot of lifestyle changes actually really don't help over the long term. And again, they're not going to help decrease your risk for cardiovascular incidents 
antioxidants. It's not going to help decrease your risk for colon cancer. It's not going to improve your bones and so many of the other positive benefits you get when you take estrogen. So I see a lot of people posting about menopause diet or lots of other things. And while I think that they're great because it, it does make you want to eat healthier, it motivates you to, you know, be happier and be inspired. If you're still having symptoms months later and you're trying all these things, it's not because they're not working. It's really just because nothing is going to work like hormone therapy replacement if that's what you need. Now, again, there are other non-estrogen containing options, and I'm going to dedicate a whole podcast to what can you do if you can't or you simply refuse the risks of using an estrogen product. And lastly, the last myth that I hear a lot is something called I am estrogen dominant. So I really want to kind of explain this myth to you. Now, if you're in menopause, as I've been talking through this podcast, you've learned that you really don't make any estrogen anymore. So if you don't make any estrogen, there's no such thing as being estrogen dominant or only needing, for example, a progesterone when you're in menopause. I always tell my patients all the good stuff comes from the estrogen. The only reason or the main reason to take the progesterone is to protect your intact uterus from uterine cancers. There can be some other sort of vague benefits from progesterone, such as helping you feel a little sleepy and therefore causing you to get a little bit better sleep at night. But all the good things are going to come from the estrogen. So estrogen dominance is sort of a slang term that kind of gets thrown around, but it's really not a medical term. Estrogen dominance may come from something like polycystic ovarian syndrome, where you do have an imbalance of that estrogen and that progesterone. But this is primarily a premenopausal concern and nothing to do with postmenopause because you really don't make any estrogen anymore. So you, you simply can't be dominant in estrogen. Now, again, I really think individualization is key. So I do have several patients who just find that the estrogen, for whatever strange reason, doesn't help them or seems to make things worse. So sometimes I'll try some out-of-the-box things like just using progesterone, and sometimes that does work. And I think that's what's so fun about the art of medicine is not everyone is the same. It's particularly women, I'll work very differently. So I really don't think there's any absolutes or that everything is black and white. There's always room for a gray zone. So thanks so much for listening. This was 10 Myths About Hormone Therapy, and I would love to continue this conversation if you have a question or comment that you might want to post about or bring up to a general audience. If you had another question that I didn't address in this podcast, let me know because I really want to know what are the other common myths that you hear from your doctors or from your friends about hormone therapy that I can help clarify for you. As always, this was really fun for me to talk about. I hope you learned something new and I encourage you to advocate for yourself for what you think your needs are. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day or evening, and I hope you listen in again soon. Bye.